Did you go through Amarillo? <laughs> what's, what's the, how was the I wind? Did. I went through Amarillo by morning. Oh, come on. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was a so, big shot yeah. in the uh, in the Republic of Texas. For Absolutely. those of you who live in those little tiny square states up north, <laughs> uh, Texas once was its own republic, and we had a Declaration of Independence and a Constitution in our own country. And uh, we were worried about the United States, so we joined them. We allowed them to join us. And uh, it's all worked out fairly well till here recently where California decided to move to Texas. But uh, his great, yeah, but his great grandfather, Isaac, was uh, was institutional, institutional. Yeah. And is that right? The right word? Yeah. Instrument, instrumental. Edit that. His uh, great grandfather, Isaac, was instrumental in, uh, in the draft- institution. <laughs> drafting the drafting the uh, Texas Constitution, which actually helped helped uh, Texas get annexed by the U.S. As Doug just said, in a different way. Uh, yeah, uh, I think his, he got uh, that backwards. <laughs> and then his, his and then his grandfather helped found the University University of Texas Law School, and his father served. I mean, his his mom's father, so same guy, served as the dean of the law school until his death. So this guy was from a family of of well-established Texas citizens. No, wasn't um, his uh, great-grandfather or something like that, a Confederate general? You know, I mentioned his dad dying at 52. When that After that happens, he ends up hitting the road with uh, Jerry Jeff and Guy Clark, and he's playing around Texas. He's playing on the north northeast coast. You guys may know this. I don't know if you know this or not, but I, I just found this out, and it blows my mind. Ray Benson saw him in Philly play at a place called Woody's, uh, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, playing uh, play opening for a band called Woody's Truck Stop in Philly. You know who was the lead singer of Woody's Truck Stop? Janice Joplin? Todd Rundgren. Todd Rundgren. <laughs> he just so, shows up everywhere. So uh, <laughs> Towns opened for Todd Rundgren in the late 60s in Philly. Um, which is amazing. And then he also, it's it's Todd Rundgren's becoming the new, uh, uh, Mellotron. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and then he ends up, he ends up going to New York and he plays, uh, Gerd's, uh, folk city, which is, you know, famous, famous club in Greenwich village where Bob Dylan played his first professional gig. And there he's, uh, seen by a teenage Emmy Lou Harris. (laughs) So, I mean, it's amazing, you know, the way all yeah. these threads sort of tie together. Yeah. Um, well, and yeah. and um, one that we haven't talked about before that that surprised me was um, the uh, the 13th floor elevators connection cracked me up where he was. Uh, Rocky Erickson really dug him and he said, you need to play the bass for the 13th floor <laughs> elevators. Oh, yeah. Serious? That. yeah. So he I shows that. up. And he, I can't play the bass. I'm a folk guitar player. And he goes, oh, no, no, it's fine. It'll work. And everybody in the band says, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just thought, <clears throat> what a, I mean, I remember Austin back then. It was a small place. And it's not surprising at all that those two guys would end up yeah. in that situation. Uh, yeah, but uh, Rocky Erickson, for those of you who do not know, is the one that came up with the uh, term uh, psychedelic psychedelic rock. And uh, some people say he's the a lot of the people that say he's the father of psychedelic 
Rock live in Austin. Uh, they don't live in California. <laughs> he's also uh, he's also uh, was in a band with the innovation of having a jug player. Yeah, an ele- right. electric, <laughs> uh, uh, like a not electric, but an amplified jug player. Yep. Oh yeah, we need to we we need to do that album at some point. Oh, I'd love to. We do. Um, we need to learn how to do drugs first. <laughs> um, but anyway, in in '67, uh, a guy by the name of Mickey Newberry. I don't know if either one of you guys want to tell tell anything. Newberry's train song. Yeah, exactly. There's well, no there's, horn, weird there's ass no, horns coming in. Well, there's yeah. no doubt that uh, there's something extremely magical about towns and and a guitar and that's it um, yeah not not only not only you know when he when his voice was still pretty pretty solid and powerful but even maybe even more so later on when he had that you know the lifetime of living that kind of aged him his voice a little prematurely but added yeah. a depth a depth to it that um is really pretty spectacular but back to yeah. your questions uh i do think they put too much frosting on this record. Uh, and I also don't mind it. Uh, it was maybe the way that I came to it. It wasn't my first Towns album. It was, to me, it was like, oh, here's Towns trying something new after I've already heard five or six of his other albums. So <laughs> for me, I didn't mind it. I, I, I liked what I thought was Towns stretching on this. Yeah. I I don't mind it actually. Um and the material's so strong. Yeah, I, I think that I think it you is. hit the nail on the head with that one, Doug. It's it's almost it's almost impossible to ruin those songs with with as much layering as they do to them. And and because to be to be honest, it's a lot of layering compared to other towns things. Right. It's not a it's not we're not talking about yeah. Nashville. No, there's not it's not it's not like a choir singing backup really or anything like that. It's a but you're right. It's compared to what people, um, you know, people yeah. grew to understand towns to be. There's, um, well, there's an expectation of a sparse, empty landscape when you. Yeah, and I listened to uh, towns doing Poncho on Lefty today on, on a live recording. It was just he and a and, a, and another guitar player, and I just that was so much. To me, that was just so much more engaging than the way that I heard it when well, it was produced by Towns. And then I heard Emily Harris's version of it and just went, she pretty much nailed it. That's the way that this song needs to be done. And um, were you it, watching a video of it or just listening to it? Because that makes it I was just listening to it, actually, okay. just listening to it. Um, <laughs> Um, and, but, but it's it's so easy to take to live is to to fly to me is just an amazing song and I've I've heard the cowboy junkies do it and I thought it was great one that's how I got drawn into the song uh, but then hearing his version of it very stripped down was just like. Well, I love again. Both. I love both of the versions. Of, I love both their versions. Almost every Towns Van Zandt and the cover. I'm a fan of. Well, but I think the with Towns Van Zandt, less is more. Well, because you, you those those lyrics are just so incredible, and I am not like I said, I'm not lyrics lyricist guy, lyrics guy. Um, I just 
but you, you've got to hear him. If you can't hear his lyrics, the song is going to kind of fall flat. And, and I don't, I don't want to just focus on kind of the, uh, for lack of a better term, broodiness of him. The guy was same, same thing with Mr. Mud and Mr. Gold. If that's not a Dylan influence song, I don't know what is. I always, yeah. when I hear that song, I think it's just a songwriter showing off because well, Mr. Mud and Mr. Gold. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so cool. And it's, it's like, a fantastic look what, song. Look what I can do. Look yeah. what I can do with words. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I spent some time, uh, with the A and R guy at uh, at uh, MCA, and he was trying to find something for Nancy Griffith to play, and I said, "Get her to sing Snowing on Raton." And he goes, "What? What? <laughs> what?" I said, "I guarantee, you, if you get her to sing that, you'll make some money off that one." And I don't know what happened to it, but I do know uh, Robert L. Kane and about a hundred other people uh, did a cover. Uh, what's her face? That that. That, who's that guitar player at Maine's? Uh, Natalie Maine's. That she did a cover up. So, um, since you mentioned Jimmy Dale Gilmore, I just want to take a little brief detour and talk about uh, how Jimmy Dale Gilmore came upon Towns's music. You guys know that story? I don't. Do well, it, it's a result of Joe Ely in 1969. Towns is hitchhiking through Lubbock and. Uh, He's got his backpack on and it's crammed with copies of our mother, the mountain, <laughs> but no, but no clothes evidently. And, uh, Joe Ely <laughs> picks him up to give him a ride. And, uh, and he ends up giving him one of the albums as a thank you. And so Ely takes it back and he and Jimmy Dale Gilmore stay up all night listening to it, trying to figure out how to play the songs. Hmm. Wow. It's a pretty, pretty, pretty amazing story. And ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who are outside of the great uh, state of Texas, uh, Joey Lee, Jimmy Dale Gilmore, and Butch Hancock re- represent the Flatlanders, who are actually a band that's not located in Austin, but located in Lubbock, Texas. And uh, great songwriters, all of them. Yep. Uh, great performers. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll do that uh, Flatlander album they put out not long. Well, it was long ago, but not long ago <laughs> to me. Yeah. Not yeah, that long ago, yeah. By comparison to great, stuff great, we're doing now. Great albums. Yep. It is. Yeah. yeah, all three of those guys are are pretty phenomenal. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the next song, Gone Gone Blues. The last time I saw him was at Waterley Records. About a year before he died, I guess this was but um 96. And I could not hear him. He was actually in front of a microphone, sitting down, playing guitar. I could not hear a word he was saying. And it was one of those. And I've I've seen him plaster. 